Hey, thank you so much for joining us online at Venue Church for another inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you were impacted by this message in any way, we would love it if you would share it with your friends online. Yeah, real boats rock. Thank you worth everything. Man, I'm glad you're here at Venue Church this morning. How we doing? Been here, are we okay? Have you been enjoying our Church in the Wild series? I don't know what kind of background you came from. I don't know where you're at with God or where you're at with church. But ever since I was a kid, I've always kind of wanted to see God. God, if you're up there, I grew up in church. I didn't know if I was allowed to ask that. (laughs) I would like to see you, God. Are you there? Are you real? How do I see you? How do I experience you? What kind of a relationship could I have with you? And I don't know who you are, but I'll bet you at some point in your life you've asked yourself that. I'll bet you there's people who've been in church for 20 years and asking themselves, right, God, I want to see you this morning. I came to Venue Church to see you, God, this morning. Haven't you ever wanted to see God? Church in the Wild series is about seeing God. It's also about who church is for, because if you have a misread on who church is for, you'll have a misread on, if, if you have a misread and you have a differing opinion with Jesus about who church is for, then you won't have, you won't be able to see Jesus as he is because you won't see his body as it is and how he planned his body to be. Is it even possible for me to see God? I guess that kind of depends on what God you're talking about. <laughs> Sometimes our view about God is not altogether that accurate. Sometimes it's a little of Jesus and a lot of us, which is called a Franken-Jesus. And he ugly. <laughs> we get this mic up a little bit. I got to think sometimes, sometimes we want God to be a lot like us, but part of our venue code is we believe in Jesus as he is, not as we'd like him to be. See, if you make Jesus less than he is, and you start like, well, I think that God's okay with this, and I think that God's okay with me like this, and I think that God's okay, and I think, and I think, and I think, then that's, your God is part of you. You are most of your God that you're serving with a little of Jesus and a lot of you, or you mix it with something else in your life. But look, unless Jesus is untainted, he can't be as powerful as he is. We believe in Jesus as he is. We say when we miss the mark, we miss the mark, but it's not his fault. Can't make me preach right now. Give me a minute, I got some funny stories. But today and in this life, I think it's harder for this generation than any other generation. You can tell me what you think, if you agree. For reals, you missed that. We have so many options now. In a sermon I've entitled, When Worlds Collide, we have so many options that I wonder if we really believe as adults that we can live an undivided life. Is it even possible to live just one life? You learn from an early age that when you're with this group of people or when you're with your dad, you you be a certain way because your dad likes a certain thing. And when you're with your mom, you're, you're the way that mom wants you to be. And then when you're with your friends, you're that way. And then when you join a sports team, you have to start thinking like that team and talking like that team. And then one day you, you get married and you want to talk about worlds colliding, if that's been your story. <laughs> you want to talk about a collision of two worlds that you thought were going in the same direction. I, I love it when I, whenever I hear um, somebody, I was talking with a, a married person today about somebody's dating or engaged or something, and, and uh, somebody got engaged here at Venue just last week. It's really cool. <laughs> but I'll bet you that they have a theme song. I'll bet you they have a song. 
It's funny when you try to counsel um, young people when they're dating how much they think that they know. Just give it 10 years and then they sit in my office and they don't know as much anymore. <laughs> I think when, when I got uh, engaged uh, to Erin, first of all, two worlds colliding. She came from a different world than I came from. And so she came from a world with, with her mom and her sister. So in a very kind of girl emotional home. And I came from a family with, with a strong male presence. Um, we didn't talk about feelings a lot. So you know, I can't remember one time, my poor mom. Now, having said that, I've given her four granddaughters. So I am therefore her favorite, because my brother was not man enough to produce girls. And now she's got all the emotional support she wants. Ryan, I love you. I just wish you had it in you. But, um, but you know, like, when boys come home from school, like, how was school? I, don't, I can't remember ever saying anything different than, uh. <laughs> Words. My mom would come with just starved for human emotional connection and... I was hungry, and if I'm hungry, come on, can I hear an amen, guys? If I'm hungry, just feed me, then maybe we can talk after that, unless I'm tired and then I need a nap, then I'll wake up and eat again, but if you ask me how my day was, I'm not thinking about my day. Now, this is hard for girls to understand, and if you're dating somebody, this is going to help you out here. When you ask your man what he's thinking, and he says nothing, he's not lying. He's not thinking about anything, not what you want him to think about. He's thinking about the soccer game two months ago. He's like, wow, that was a good game. And you've been pouring your heart out to him, and he's thinking about the soccer game, and he's like, he starts smiling, and you're like, hey, he's listening. He's getting it. He's like, oh, my goodness. And that, he kicked that goal. It was just amazing. You're like, and then you ask him a question. Don't ever ask a question when you're pouring your heart out to your man, please, okay? Because it just puts us on a spot, because we haven't been listening. And you ask us a question like, and what do you think? Well, that's hard to combine what we've been thinking about with what you were thinking about right there. I think it's uh, awesome. I think it's awesome. <laughs> Two worlds combining. Two worlds combining. Two worlds combining. My, um, I, I mentioned that Aaron and I were engaged when we got engaged to an old tradesman that I was working with at the time. You know what he says to me? One thing. He says, hey, congratulations. How's her coffee? And I said, I said, what do you mean? She's never made me coffee. Married man. He turned around and walked away. He didn't even say anything. I watched him all the way down the hall shaking his head. Like, kids. Kids. She never made me coffee. Kids. It was true. I mean, for the first, like, decade and a half, I made the coffee. She called me one time because she had some friends over and she didn't know how to make coffee. It was a valid question. I just didn't understand that at the time. Um, when, when we got engaged, my Aunt Linda said something to me. She said... You know, when you first get, get married, you get in that relationship, you, you get into this relationship, it's because of this, and we like the same music, and we have the same interests, and then, then she goes, after a while, she goes, Dean and I are still together in spite of this, and in spite of that thing, and in spite of that other thing that was supposed to break us apart. We're still there after all of this work. And I think to myself, that's the difference there in combining two worlds. How does that work? But even when you're a child, you gotta, you got to think to yourself, you're a child. Now, I don't know how, how healthy your home was growing up or the environments that you were in, but you learn very early on that to be accepted and to be loved with a certain group of people, you have to be and act a certain way, whether or not that's really in your heart to do that. Maybe your parents were like that. There's this thing called unconditional love, where you, but then there are expectations, and not every expectation is a bad thing. But you learn to... 
put on a mask when you're young. You learn to spend quite a time making a mask in particular groups when you're young. Can you be who you really are? I grew up in a healthy home, and yet there were some things that tormented me that weren't my parents' fault, but there were some things that were hard for my life. And you learn to put on a mask. You learn to put on a mask to survive, to get by. Sometimes the real you can kind of peek out, but the older you get, the more of masks you, you just get better at making better masks. But every place you go now, you've got to figure out what mask I should be wearing. I was uh, four and I hadn't figured out how to wear a a proper mask in public yet. (laughs) I would kind of speak my mind and just, I was just all me and all in. And so one time, uh, one time I, um, I had a a checkup with a a nurse. I think I was going into kindergarten and they were just checking up on me to make sure I was healthy and she was going to test my coordination. So, so this is what she does. She, she takes a, a, like some sort of like rubber baseball and puts me in a hallway and gives me one of those big red bats. You ever seen one of those big red bats? Yes. <laughs> Millennials? No? <laughs> it's a big red plastic bat for teaching kids how to still know. Yes. There's sports that exist outside of your thumb strength for your video games. I know your thumbs are like super worked out and stuff, but there's other sports that we actually used to have to swing stuff and hit stuff and run. Like for reals, not running in place on the carpet in your basement. And... Um, and my dad was so excited he had a boy and he loved baseball so much that what he did was he, he, put a, he went out and bought a baseball bat and a baseball and a, put it in, in the crib and it looked hilarious because I was so small and cute. And this great big baseball bat sitting in there. And I learned how to hit things with a baseball bat when I was really little. And so however old I was, maybe four, this nurse is, is testing so she's going to pitch a ball to me, right? And so, so she's like this and she's getting ready to pitch and I'm looking at her and I'm looking at my mom because she's like four feet away. And my mom goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Um, you, you're really close. And she goes, well, he's just little. My mom goes, he can hit. She goes, how bad could it be? And I look at my mom like, can I be the real me? <laughs> I, I look to the nurse, and I'm like, for reals? And I look at my mom, and I'm like, can I? Like, she's an adult, and she said yes. <laughs> the mom's like, okay. She gives me the nod, so she tosses this ball in, and I pinballed that hallway. I just about killed that poor lady. She can check off the coordination box. He got it. He good. Be my real self. As you grow up, there's a different peer group you want to belong in, and they value this thing. As you grow up, your friends and your cousins, and then you get your first job, and then you have to put a certain mask on when you're at work. And what happens is, what started as one world soon fractures and you start finding yourself in many different worlds with many different types of masks. And what you end up doing and what I ended up doing was I I spent more time working on on my masks than I spent working on my face. It's easier to work on a mask than to work on your face. If your face is blemished and you've been eating the sugar of sin and you're all pimply, you just put on a different mask. You just put on a different mask when we were with those different people. And it's okay, and you can kind of maintain it for a bit. And you start into your teens, and then, and then you keep going further. And the further along you get, there's this deep desire inside of you just to be one person. Just to live in one world. 
but because the value that you brought to them was because of the mask you thought, that if you ever took the mask off, they wouldn't love the real you, but how would they even know because nobody knows the real you? We get married and we present ourselves as something. When you date somebody, it's really different than when you marry somebody. This is the best version of me. Oh, I'm sensitive. I can write poetry. But for reals, am I talking about anybody else? I'm talking about me. But then, and, and we come in with these false expectations and this mask of something that you can't even carry out for very long. And we carry it through life. Wearing a mask. Then somebody invites you to church someday. And you come in and you see people who are joyful, or at least appear joyful, but you don't really believe it. Because if you had a smile on your face that wide, and were that excited, and you lifted your hands when you worshipped, and you were carefree, am I preaching? If that was you, it would be fake. And you come into a venue church, for instance, or any church, and there's a dream team of people that have been working all week to bring you this worship experience. And you, you come into church for the first time, or you went into a church the first time, and you see all the people that work so hard to get you there, and then they're actually excited, and they're laughing, during, the, and they're engaged, and they're, there's something about them. They're almost happy and joyful. But you know some of their story, and you know that not everything has gone well for them. And you wonder to yourself, is this a mask? And... Is this the real them? And, and the thing is, like, depending on what church you went to first, some churches weren't very good at the authentic thing, and so we actually were wearing a mask because we weren't okay, and we weren't okay with not being okay sometimes, but it depends on what that group of people, because I said this the other day, I'm like, oh my goodness, if I can only pastor a church with no people, <laughs> no problems. The only trouble there would be is there, there would be me, and then I would be stuck talking to me and pastoring me when I don't think that I'm the problem, which is super frustrating. So I thought, let's have people in church, other people, <laughs> so I can blame stuff on them. <laughs> but depending on what church you went to first, your relationship with God even may have begun with like, well, this is what they value here. But you'll notice that a lot of churches, what they were on Sunday wasn't what they were on Monday. And then you're like, well, I can actually do that because I've been doing it my whole life. I can actually go here and appear like everything's okay and everything's cool and I don't really need to cry in church and I don't need to engage in church. Why? Because it's okay and I can put this on for a while. But the older you get, the more starved you become to take the mask off and see if anybody would love the real you. Who is church for? Who is church for? There was this place that Jesus envisioned in his heart when he came to earth where all of the worlds collided and everybody took their masks off and everybody became followers of Jesus and took up his life. Where we all laid down our masks, were accepted as we were, changed from the inside out, to be with each other. If you find that somebody won't accept you at Venue Church, did you know that we're not even allowed to, as followers of Jesus, not love you? We're not even allowed to not forgive you. Why? Because our, our Lord and Savior never did. 
I met this guy. I invite him to church every week. We play soccer. I'll get into the scripture. I don't have lots of scripture today, but it's going to really impact your life. But this guy named Danny, and I love Danny. He's like Latino and loaded with tattoos. And he looks like he's kind of been around the block and maybe not a good block for a lot of his life. And, and I invite him like, hey, man, you need to come to Vendy Church. I invite him every week. We have, everybody who's at soccer who's venue invites everybody there to church every week. And so, um, and so I asked him like, Danny, man, you got to come to church. <laughs> you old sinner. <laughs> You're laughing, but that's how I talk to guys who look like that because they think it's funny. Now, see, I don't know what kind of a, a background Danny grew up in, but I'll bet you that he went to church and I kind of had the feeling that he would because he said to me one day like, yeah, you know, I probably should get back there. He's a little worried that, you know, he's going to get struck by lightning. <laughs> and he might. And he might. But he says to me one day, he says, he says uh, well, who's the pastor? And I said, I'm the pastor. And then he looks at, at my tattoos on my arms. He goes, you're the pastor? He looks at his tattoos. I don't know how you feel about tattoos. I have them, obviously. My wife is keeping her body pure. <laughs> we had somebody come to venue one time, and I, I, I got a tattoo kind of around then, and he starts like posting stuff about how he didn't super like tattoos or Christians shouldn't have tattoos or something. And then my mom comments, and he starts going at my mom. Okay. I'm not big, but I'm Irish, man. Don't you come at my mom. I'll come in your front door, and it's going to get messy. And I'm like, I sent him a personal message. I'm like, I'm unfriending you right now because it's not really cool to go after somebody's mom. And he's using all these spiritual platitudes, saying the word God in there and stuff like that. And I'm thinking to myself, well, number of people that you've baptized with tattoos. Depends who you're trying to reach. I'm talking to Danny. And Danny's looking at me, and for the first time, because where he came from didn't look like where, where, what this would look like, and someday he's going to show up here. Don't tell him that I said this story. And somebody's going to show up here, but he's looking at my tattoos, and he's like, and every time I talk to him, he's a little bit closer to actually coming, because he's thinking to himself, some of the people there might actually look like me. Some of the people there might actually be like me, because where I went, where I started going, I had to wear all these masks, and nobody was really real, but is this a different place? Is this a different kind of a church? Is this a place where I could go and not be thrown out if I'm the real me, if I actually took the mask off and was the real, the real me? I want to get to this place where we have this purity of heart thing. Now, that doesn't mean that you have it all together, but I was reading in, uh, in, in my Bible app. Uh, are you on version Bible app? Get, get on your Facebook friends there and see what people are going through in their week. You can tell by what kind of plans they read. You know, if they're going through the, like, oh, God, help me now plan. You know, they're having a hard week. Fire them a text and be like, hey, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. If they're going through a marriage plan and like, how do I not divorce this man? <laughs> I just made that up. That's not an actual thing. Call him up and be like, hey, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I was going through um, a Bible reading plan called The End of Me by Kyle Eidelman. And have you gone through that one? The End of Me. He says, when the inside and outside match up, you're pure in heart and you're where God wants you to be. When the inside and outside match up, and, and I asked you at the beginning, do you want to see God? And Jesus said in the New Testament, only the pure in heart will see God. Now, if being pure in heart is being as honest as you can, where the inside and outside actually lines up, I wonder. And what was the church supposed to be? After this, Jesus went out. And saw a man named Levi. Now, now he's called Levi in this 
uh, gospel. The different gospels were written of the same accounts uh, of Jesus um, from different authors for different audiences. And so they recorded different things. All of the accounts were true, but, but they just picked up different things. It's like watching an accident report from different views. <laughs> from your point of view, that's probably true. And from your point of view, that's probably true. And so that's how the gospels were written. And so this is really of the man named Matthew who later wrote the gospel of Matthew. Now, he didn't start all holy, and he didn't start in church. This is where he started. He was at his work collecting taxes. Now, a tax collector then wasn't as legit as a tax collector now. They used to give a bid to Rome. Rome would, would put a bid out for the area of Judea or whatever the, the section was. And a tax collector in his day, what he would do is he would, whoever got the lowest bid would win the thing. So you, had, you were responsible to bring in X number of millions of whatever to Rome. So anything you collected over that was your money. So a tax collector would have thugs and if Tiffany has $100 that are her taxes for the month and you collect 200 good for you. That's how it was. So that's who this was. Jesus said, come along with me. And he did, walked away from everything and went with him. Now, think about that. You think to him, like, he's, wow, it takes so much courage to do that. The thing is that Matthew had everything that you're spending your whole life trying to get. He already had it. He had anything money could buy. He could buy and sell people. He could be with this girl that night and that girl the next night. He, can, he has the car that you want. He had the boat that you wanted. He has the house that you'll never have. He had it all, but there was still, he knew that this was not it. I don't know how long you have to live in your life before you come to that realization like, wow. It takes a lot of courage to look at the, your entire life and be like, did I just waste my entire life? Because what I believed in, and if I missed a relationship with God, it was not it. I don't have it. And he got up, and I, I wish church people would get it more, be able to stand up and follow Jesus wherever Jesus wants to go. He had everything, and it wasn't enough. It was never going to be enough. Now, I love what happens here is that, is that Matthew or Levi, um, Matthew is Levi's Hebrew name, and so what he does, what Matthew does is he gets himself a new small group because he, he follows Jesus and who hangs out with Jesus? The 12 disciples. And so 12, which is a great number for a small group, I think. Um, 12, 12 in a small, he gets a new small group. My, my daughter says to me, we just did a, did a kid's small group. We're just starting small groups this week. It's not too late to get into a small group. Please come. Do life with people. It'll set you free. And so I had a dozen people in my small group upstairs while my, my daughters had uh, more than that downstairs and Arwen comes up afterwards and she goes, well dad, looks like you had a good small group. We had a 25 in ours. <laughs> Sweetheart, Jesus didn't have 25 disciples. Why is everything a competition in my home? I don't know where they get this from. Like, Aaron's side of the family is so competitive. <laughs> It's okay to be a little competitive if you're talking about people. Is it? <laughs> that's, that's what I say to myself to wake up in the morning and be okay with myself. So, so what happens is Matthew's got this new small group and he's realizing, I just walked out of my sins and I was forgiven for my sins and I've got this whole new life here. But then he does something very interesting that some of us don't do. He looks back at his old friends and he's like, but what about them? And... I got this, I've been set free in my life. I finally know why I'm here and who I'm supposed to be with. And I have a, I'm a son of God now somehow. My sins have been washed away. All the stuff I used to do with them. But, but what about them? 
about them and he, he lets it bother him and it says that he gave a large dinner at his home for Jesus. Everybody was there. Taxmen, other disreputable characters as guests at the dinner. The Pharisees and their religion scholars came to his disciples greatly offended. <laughs> this is a church people now. What is he doing eating and drinking with crooks and sinners? Jesus heard about it and spoke up. Now, if they had a problem with Jesus, why didn't they just go and talk to Jesus? Sometimes you complain to your friends. Is it when you and I complain to our friends? Because we don't want to talk to God. Because God's going to be like, uh, actually, that's your problem. <laughs> For reals. <laughs> actually, you created that whole thing. What are you complaining about? Oh, sorry, am I preaching to somebody else here? <laughs> Come on. Jesus heard about it. He always hears about it. Who needs a doctor, the healthier the sick? I'm here inviting outsiders, not insiders. In, another, in the other gospel, it says, I'm here to invite outsiders, not, cod, not coddle insiders. Not like, oh, you okay? You okay? The temperature good in here? Everything okay? Oh. An invitation to a changed life changed inside and out. Now, this is what self-help won't get you. You need to be disciplined, absolutely. There's only things that you can do. But then the things that God can do, you can't do. So here's what salvation in Christ, this is what the salvation in Christ offers you. Not just a cleansing of your sins of your past, but an actual working on the inside to fix what made you sin in the first place. Going after the things inside of your heart and fixing you in there. Healing the hurts of your past and fixing you in there. changed inside and out. See, the religious people learned a long time ago, we put a mask on when we come to church so that you see the outside and the outside looks okay. And Jesus is like, not cool. Why are you wearing a mask in, in church? Not cool. Well, nobody would love me. Are you done believing that lie? Nobody would love me if they knew the real me. Really? You got a better story that allows you to live like that? Nobody would love you. Jesus wouldn't love you? Jesus wouldn't love you. Oh, God wouldn't accept me. He sent his son to, so that he could accept you. Who died on a cross for you. Well, people wouldn't love me. The church has to. We don't have to. We get to. We haven't forgot what it's like to be saved from sin, man. We were a mess. Oh, that was for free. <laughs> See, the Pharisees thought that they were on a cruise mission. Hey, everything's good. Now we're saved. We're safe. We're going to heaven. We're going to spend eternity with Jesus. No, these guys, though, they'll mess the boat up. Well, the problem is it's not really a cruise ship. That's why we're, we say real boats rock. We're on a rescue mission, and there's a storm, and there's bodies in the water right beside you, within reach of you. It's not particularly comfortable out in the rowboat reaching the people to get them onto the hospital ship. And everybody on that hospital ship is a broken, screwed up mess. Some are just more screwed up than others. But we're all there getting treatment. Because we're all broken people. Real boats rock. It's a mess. We're in it. We're in it with you. And then he says this, and this is kind of the last part of this that I want to get to and close. Down in verse 36, he says, No one cuts up a fine silk scarf, silk scarf to patch old work clothes. You want fabrics that match. What? The sewing lesson was Jesus. And you don't put wine in old cracked bottles. You get strong clean bottles for your fresh vintage wine. 
I love that fresh vintage wine. That's interesting. Like it's new, but but it's kind of old. It's new, but it, it's. He's like, I'm coming with the Holy Spirit with something new, but it's always how we were. This new revelation of my love and grace and truth that can save you from your sins and heal you from the inside out. It's new because you didn't see it like this before, but it's always who we were. It was always our intent to bring this new wine. And Jesus is like, you got to be careful that you don't put the new wine in old bottles. It's only good for the old wine. And then he says this, and this is where we need to stop today. And no one who has ever tasted fine aged wine or old wine prefers unaged wine. Did you get that? No one. You think to yourself, well, if God did something new, I would prefer it. He just said that you wouldn't. Because we're creatures of comfort. Meaning when God says you can take your mask off now, we still keep it on a little bit longer. Why? Because that's what we're used to. Because it's just what we know. Because it's always been like this, God. Because when I was three, I had to put my first mask on. And when I did that, I started to lie to myself. And at first I knew that it wasn't real, but after a while I started believing in my own lie because if I was wrong, I'd have to redo my whole life. And that takes a lot of unwinding. And Jesus is in heaven looking at your life right now and saying, I can actually do that. Here's the deal about your life. It was never supposed to be like, I got this. You think that that's who church is for? People who got it together? No, church is like, God's got this. I'm coming in broken and in need of healing and addicted and I'm never going to fix this thing with my kids. I'm never going to be able to fix this thing at work. And I don't know what to be here and I don't know. And you come in in the same state as every Dream Team member came in here and you see some of them smiling. Why? Because we know the secret is that church was always supposed to be about what Jesus did and not about what you can do. And you come in and the first thing that you say is, God help me. I want to worship you because you're so much higher and you're so much better than I am. And as we do that and we direct our praise and our attention to heaven, he starts coming down and changing us from the inside out. And you can work on your behaviors all day long, but if the Spirit of God is not working in you and through you, all you're going to do is put a band-aid on it, but you won't heal it. And God is saying to somebody today, I got this. Not you. You'll never have it. I got this. My, um, I don't know how long somebody prayed to get you in church. One thing I'm going to start saying here is it might be a 15-year Sunday for you, meaning somebody's been praying for you for 15 years. And you show up, and we've got one Sunday with you. That's why things look the way that they look here. That's why we care about some things and don't super care about other things, because it might be a 15-year Sunday, and my cousin Kelly one time had like a 30-year. It wasn't a Sunday. It was a family reunion. And you can just hold off if you want. Um, the, um, you got a minute? My cousin Kelly, uh, the Copes were a hard bunch, and they were hard against God, hard against the gospel. My dad got saved and became a pastor. They didn't really know what to do with that. <laughs> And every family reunion was hard for us to go to because they were so hard against who we were as people. And we weren't preaching at them. We weren't doing anything like that. But it was just hard because their lives were going in other directions. And my cousin Kelly was the same as everybody else. He's a coat man. He's got it. We got it together. We're okay. And um, until the day that his sister died, 
younger than I am, left six kids behind. Just didn't wake up one morning and our kids found her. And I went to the next um, reunion, maybe two weeks later, and I saw Kelly come in and he's a, he's a big guy. And he's a coat man, he's got it, but he didn't have it anymore. Didn't have it together. And I could tell by his eyes that he had been uh, crying and he hadn't been sleeping probably since his sister died. And he comes in and do you know that moment when what you thought you had wasn't enough anymore? We don't get these glimpses very often when you realize that everything that you put your trust in is gone. All the distractions aren't good enough anymore. And, and uh, he sits across from me at the table. I was just trying to get next to him, but there's always people around and everybody putting on a good face, but it wasn't really a face that's like, I'm not okay with being not okay right now. Everybody's just putting a face on because nobody really knows what to do with this. Because when you're competent and you have a suffer a major loss and you don't have Jesus, what do you do with it? You just fake it and just get, get past it. But getting past it is not the same as getting healed of it. And he... Uh, sits across the table from me and somebody says something and we're sitting with our aunts and uncles and somebody says something and he says whatever then he says something that I will take with me until I die he said he looks around the room and he goes I don't think anybody here knows why they're here I don't think anybody here knows why they exist then he looked and he made eye contact with me and I looked at him and he said but I think you do And I realized that all the pain in my life, and I've had a lot. I had one moment there that I connected with him, not because I was strong, I connected with him because I was weak. And because I understood part of the suffering and loss that he had gone through. And I, and I said, Kelly, I do know why I'm here. I can't give you an answer, but I can talk to you about Jesus. And I had this opportunity to talk to my cousin about Jesus. In this window of his life and his brokenness. And I think to myself, what kind of a church do we want to have venue church? If he comes and it's a 30-year Sunday, who will meet him at the door? And shake his hand and smile and be like, hey, I don't know how broken you are when you came in here, but God's got this. But God's bigger than this. But God's got this. You might be going through a time of death in your life, but I want to tell you right now by the Spirit of God that God's got this, actually. God's got this. You don't have to have this anymore. God's got this. God's got you. God's got the whole world in his hands. Sometimes when we lift our hands, we just lift our hands to heaven and say, God, can you just take this? Father, I pray, as we sing, what a beautiful name again. I pray, Father, that our focus right now would shift from ourselves to you. Everything we came in here burdened with, we would just leave at the foot of the cross. And say, God, I need your, not just your help in this, I need you to come and take this life over. I pray, Heavenly Father, that anybody who needs to take a mask off would stay in the care corner and get somebody to pray with them and tell somebody your story, Father, that we would get involved in small groups and pull our kids into small groups where they can start taking the mask off, Lord, so they don't have to spend 20 years wearing masks like we did and get all messed up, Father. I pray that, I'm going to pray this, Father, I pray that we'd be driving our kids to youth group every week, and I pray, Father, we'd be getting our kids in groups and small groups and bringing them to church so that they wouldn't have to suffer with the baggage that we've had to suffer with. But Heavenly Father, I pray for everyone with the courage today to take off the mask right in the worship time, right now, and lift up the name of Jesus higher than the masks that we've been wearing. I pray, Father, that you would come and meet them. In Jesus' name, amen.
Hey, we hope you enjoyed this inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you'd like to partner with us, please go to venuechurch.ca slash give. Yeah, because a life saved is worth everything.